Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 66, Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in this episode, we're going to finish our look at Revelation chapter 4, paying particular attention again to the one seated on the throne, why he is addressed and worshipped as the Lord God Almighty with the three times repeated adjective holy we'll look a little bit about where that comes from in the old testament and try to wrap our minds around just what it means that the lord god almighty rules from a throne as the creator of all things and so i'm very excited to get into this i hope you're excited to follow along with me let's just jump right in To begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Revelation 4, verses 5 through the end of the chapter. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And that wraps us up in the book, um, or I'm sorry, in in Revelation chapter 4. Now, the title of my um, podcast episode here is is taken right from verse 8, and it is the Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And if you remember back to episode 46, um, we look specifically at what the Lord God Almighty um, means taken from Revelation 1 verse 8, and I focused in quite a bit on Jesus himself embodying the Lord um, from the Old Testament, the the God that Israel was to worship. And here we've got that same reference again, the one who was and is and is to come. This reference to an eternal, timeless God, one who also, according to Hebrews, in talking about Jesus Christ, refers to Jesus as the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we have someone who is present for us on a throne, but we have him as one who has been there in the past, will be there in the future, and of course is actively with us now in the present. And so um, in Revelation 4 5, it says, you know, we, we talked about the, the flashes of lightning and the rumblings and the peals of thunder in last episode. But here we're also told that before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And again, we looked at this way back in the beginning of our time in Revelation from chapter 1, 
where in verse four we are we uh, receive this this greeting of grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And so we've got this reference once again, the Lord God Almighty, the one seated on the throne. Um, Jesus refers to him often throughout the Gospels as the Father. And then you have the seven spirits of God, which John here refers to as seven torches of fire. And again, to go back to to Genesis, to Revelation chapter 1, when you have this vision of the Son of Man who has eyes like a flame of fire, we talked about this penetrating, you know, burning away, um, you know, fake coverings, just these penetrating eyes who are able to see into motives deep within the heart and Jesus's vision. Um, he doesn't judge by what his eyes see. He sees things beyond what they appear to be. And of course, here from the throne, God's ability to do that is firmly rooted in the seven spirits that he has, which John again is identifying now as torches of fire, penetrating insight, burning away the filth, able to see into the deep places. And again, we're reminded of, of Isaiah chapter 11, where we're told about a coming Messiah who will have the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of justice and the spirit of righteousness and the spirit of the fear of the Lord and repeating sevenfold the type of spirit that emanates from the presence of God for the benefit of the world. And that's what John is again describing for us here in Revelation 4, 5. And then it says, before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And here we're probably referring something, noticing that it's like a sea of glass, something that is incredibly calm, incredibly peaceful. You know, we live next to a river in our town. And if you go out to the river in an early morning when the sun is just coming up, I mean, it literally looks like a sea of glass. It looks like something that you could just walk on. It is so smooth, not a single ripple anywhere in it. And in the Old Testament, the sea um, was oftentimes associated with the nations and it was associated with chaotic times and chaotic waters. And when people found themselves in trouble in relationship with their enemies or in relationship with um, other people or foreign gods, they would often describe those times as chaotic waters. Um, In fact, from Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22, which we looked at at length in episode 65 of this podcast, David refers to the, 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 the waves crashing over him and him sinking down into the depths of the sea. The sea was always described as a place where you're, uh, you're frightened, you're fearful, things around you are chaotic. In the book of Revelation even, in describing the new heavens and the new earth, there's a super strange phrase that says, and the sea was no more. Not to mean that in the new creation there will not be an ocean. I mean, that's kind of comical to think about. There are 80% of our <laughs> of our planet is covered by waters. That's not what it means. It means no more chaos, no more destruction, no more fear, no more death. And here, that's the image. Around the throne. The sea, the place of chaos, the place of destruction, the place of death, the place of fear is so calm, it appears to be a sea of glass like crystal. 
And that's where the throne of the Lord God Almighty takes center stage, is that around that throne, there is peace and harmony and calm and rest. That's precisely what the Lord God the Almighty brings. And it's so fun as you read through, and you probably heard me read it, and I guess I could repeat it over and over, but how many times you hear from the throne, around the throne, and around the throne, and from the throne. And John is doing something beautiful here. He's just trying to give us a view of the landscape. This is the environment that surrounds the throne, and it isn't as much describing a visual of the one on the throne because the Bible doesn't do that. No one has ever seen God. No one can see him and live. And yet John 1 tells us that Jesus has revealed him to us. And we're going to get to see a picture of Jesus. And that is the image that is going to capture our imaginations the most through the book of Revelation. In chapter 4, however, the point is just to get the ideas in our minds firmly. These are the sorts of realities that transpire from the one seated on the throne. And so in verse 6, we're told again, around the throne, on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Now, the thrust of Revelation 4 is going to eventually end with all praise and all glory and all honor going to the Lord God, the Almighty, because he's the creator. And if you remember way back toward the very beginning of the podcast, we talked about Genesis 1 and the creation and God himself, the spirit of God hovering over the the surface of the deep, hovering over these dark waters and these dark barren wastelands. The Spirit of God was present there. The Lord God spoke things into existence. The creation was happening. Well, here we're reminded once again of the kinds of creatures that are around the throne as a result of the Lord God the Almighty being the creator. And what's fun is that we're given these descriptions of a lion and an ox and an eagle and a man. And I mean, without going into tremendous detail, these are the kinds of creatures that show up in a book like Ezekiel, maybe in chapter 1, or in Isaiah chapter 6. In fact, in Isaiah um, 6 is precisely where the phrase, the holy, 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 is the Lord God, the Almighty. This is a, a refrain that is continually portrayed to the one seated on the throne. Um, it's just, it's a continuous refrain. And it's coming from what Revelation calls these living creatures. And we don't get a lot of description other than their face is like each of these creatures that we know of, but we don't quite understand what it might be like to have eyes in front and behind. Again, these are representative of all of the kinds of creatures that you and I see on the earth. And if we broke it down, I mean, simply stated, you could just say that the lion, you know, is the greatest and fiercest of the wild animals. The ox is the strongest of of domesticated animals. The eagle is the most majestic of birds. Of course, the eagle, where it demonstrates its majesty the most, is sort of in the heavens, right? Whereas a lion and an ox are clearly on the ground. And then man, of course, is the ruler over all the animals. So God is the great and strong ruler over all, and his heavenly assistants 
reflect these attributes. And that's, I think, what's going on. And we've looked at these throughout the podcast. You know, we're going to talk in a moment um, in chapter five and in upcoming episodes about the lion of the tribe of Judah. We've looked at oxen, um, particularly as it relates to he who has an ear, let him hear. Um, The Israelites were tempted to worship a golden calf. And we talked about the fact that they were worshiping the Lord only as a God of strength, thinking that what he does with his strength is, you know, squash his enemies, that sort of thing. We looked at the sermon I preached um, called Two Eagles and a Vine and how the eagle is oftentimes a symbol of the majesty and greatness of a kingdom. Um, America is no exception to that, but Rome, as well as Babylon and even Assyria, adopted the image of the eagle as one who was so high and mighty above everything else that it could just soar over, you know, um, over the heights and, and look down on everything that, that dwelt below it. But here the image is that you have these creatures and these creatures, the majestic ones, the strong ones, the fiercest ones, the, the, the strongest of the domesticated ones, man, the ruler over all things, these are creatures. Despite their greatness and majesty and grandeur and strength and rule, they are all creatures. And their place is known best when they are surrounding the one who made them and are offering intense worship to that one. And the worship that these four living creatures who are full of eyes all around and within, day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so this refrain, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The who was and is and is to come is in fact a reference to the fact that the Lord God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God who rescued Israel from Egypt and you know, slavery in Egypt. He's the Lord God who brought his people into the promised land. He's also the Lord God who judged his people for their failure to follow him and trust him en route to coming into the promised land, but also once they lived there. And then we've seen over and over and over again, he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus to be the Lord God Almighty. But this adjective that's repeated three times, holy, 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 is a very, very powerful adjective. Um, We're told numerous times in the Bible that God is love. And we know that that is true, and that forms the heart of who the Lord God is. But no time in the Bible is the Lord God ever called love, 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 or power, 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 or beauty, 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 although he could be, and that does not mean that any of those attributes are any less significant. The reason why holy, holy, holy is chosen to describe the Lord, and the reason why, I mean, this comes from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is given a vision of the Lord God in his holy temple, and he sees something very similar to what John sees. But the word holy doesn't mean righteous. Uh, We don't want to get confused there. It doesn't mean morally pure, although it, it probably involves that in some level. But the word holy simply means set apart, unique, distinct, and different. And so when we talk about the Lord God Almighty, we are talking about him as a distinct, unique, different, and special 
kind of God. And in Isaiah's time, the place where he got a vision of this Lord was right after five straight chapters of continual frustration at the people of Israel for their committing of idolatry, for their following other gods, for their committing injustice against one another. And there was only going to be one thing that was going to shake the people back into properly following the Lord. And it was, in fact, a vision of the Lord God Almighty in his temple. But the fact that God is referred to as holy, holy, holy by these four living representative creatures of every creature, the representative of the whole creation, by offering up holy, 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 they are reminding us as those who observe and they are offering up to God the worship he is due because he is love, but his love is holy. It's a unique, special, different, set-apart, separate kind of love. It's very, very different from the kind of love that you and I are able or even sometimes willing to give to someone else. And we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ a love of God who is willing to self-sacrificially die for his enemies. We see that kind of love as something so other than what we have ever understood apart from him, that the only adjective worthy to describe that is holy. So yes, God is peace, God is beauty, God is love, God is hope, God is joy, but his attributes can only best be described as something so totally other than what you and I can grasp that the only way to describe it is to call it holy. And if we would flip ahead to the book of, uh, in the book of Isaiah toward the very end, it's a passage that comes up a lot in conversation. It comes up a lot in um, Christian circles. I, I just heard this referenced the other day in a conversation about a theological point that's kind of difficult to wrap people's minds around. And, and um, this good friend of mine said, you know, well, it, it's, like, it's like where it says that, you know, the Lord's ways are, are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And in the context, um, let me just read the passage for you. But it says um, in, in Isaiah 55, 8, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that passage is oftentimes quoted in conversation to talk about the fact that you really can't understand the Lord. So sometimes his attributes are so different from ours. Um, That verse is beautiful and we need to be reminded of it often. But sometimes that verse toward the end of the book of Isaiah is just sort of lobbed out in the middle of a conversation to sort of um, trump whatever had recently been said that those who have that conversation don't know how else to answer. Uh, So so it's it's almost thrown out like God, God doesn't act like we do. So when he does something that looks terrible... He must have a good reason for it. And, and I understand why Christians want to offer that answer. I would like to challenge that, however, um, because of the context that this, these verses come from. It saddens me that verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55 are the only two verses that are quoted. And the reason it saddens me is because when you quote, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, we like to think that that statement or that truth 
applies to anything. So I don't understand God here. Well, he's not like me, so I can't never understand him. Or did God act in that way? Well, we don't understand why he did, but he did. Well, but in Isaiah, there's a very specific reason why the Lord's ways are not like our ways and his thoughts are not like our thoughts. And it doesn't have anything to do with confusing doctrines. So it, it, it's, it's troublesome to me when people use it for that reason. And let me read for you the two verses that immediately follow why the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my ways above yours. Why does he say that? Here's why. Verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. It's important for you and I to understand that the holiness of the Lord, the uniqueness of the Lord, the difference between the Lord and us isn't just that God is incomprehensible and that we ought to remind ourselves of that when we can't comprehend certain actions that he participates in. The reason why he's holy, the reason why he's unique, the reason why he wants us to worship him and not another God is because no other God on the planet is anywhere near as compassionate and as gracious as the Lord. Here in Isaiah 55, he is reminding his people that even the wicked and the unrighteous, he's pleading with them to return to him so that he might have compassion on them and so that he might pardon them. The reason why he reminds his people that his ways are not like theirs and his thoughts are not like theirs is because we are far less willing to be compassionate and to pardon the wicked who mistreat us. We are far less willing to do that than the Lord is. And so this is why he rebukes his people in Isaiah 44 for building an idol that can't save them. And when they pray to an idol that they constructed with their own hands, the best they're going to be able to receive is whatever type of help and rescue that idol can give to them, which you and I know is nothing. And so the Lord is holy. He's being praised by his living creatures as holy because he's unique. He's different and he's set apart in his compassion for his creation. Now we're told in verse 9 that whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we've got this three times repeated, glory, honor, and thanks. And then we have glory, honor, and power. 
again, we have these living creatures who are representative of all creatures that are created and that, that dwell on the earth. And then we also have, remember, these 24 elders who are seated on their their thrones, this being the divine council in heaven, these heavenly beings who reign with the Lord and are able to carry out many of his plans on the earth. And so you have representatives from both the heavenly places, the divine beings, and you also have those living creatures who are representative of all the creatures that dwell on the earth. And both these earthly representatives and these heavenly representatives are offering intense worship to the one in the middle of all of this. And it is to the one who is seated on the throne. And twice John reminds us that he lives forever and ever. He is heightening our awareness of the fact that this God who was and is and is to come, never ending, who lives forever and ever, life is found in him. He's the giver of life. He's the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. Life is found in him. He lives forever and ever. And then we're told that these 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they cast their crowns before the throne. So they take off the crowns that are on their heads, their um, representative nature of their ability to rule over certain places. They take their crowns off and cast them before the feet of the one seated on the throne, signifying that the one on the throne is the truest, purest, holiest expression of rule that anything or anyone in the entire creation can ever conceive of. And this is a big question for us. Because if the 24 elders and all representation of the creatures on the earth are falling down in worship of the one seated on the throne throne again, signifying to us rule over all things. The one who created life, the one who sustains life, the one who gives life. Life is centered around the one seated on the throne. Rule is centered around the one seated on the throne. The throne signifies the one who is able to rule all things, sustain all things, and receive praise from all things. And the reason here in Revelation 4, why the Lord God, the Almighty is worth receiving glory and honor and power is we're told in verse 11, because he created all things and by his will, they existed and were created. And so again, we are reminded right back to the beginning of the Bible The Lord God Almighty, as the creator, as the sustainer, he is worshipped because he's the creator. He's worshipped because he's responsible for everything that is in this world. And as the creator, he needs to be rightly worshipped. Now, this is not the only reason why we worship the Lord God, the Almighty, but it's important for John as he's attempting to explain things to the church We need to get it firmly into our minds. The one who created all things, sustains all things, gives life to all things, is praised and worshiped and glorified by the four living creatures, representative of all creatures in the world, and the 24 elders who themselves sit on divine thrones with crowns on their heads. 
they cast these crowns before the Lord God, the Almighty, signaling to him, he alone is worthy. He alone is capable. He alone can be trusted to properly rule the creation the best because he's the one who created it. And in the same way that the Lord God, the Almighty, created mankind in Genesis chapter 1 and commissioned mankind to rule over the creation that he himself sustains, we will take our cues from the reasons why the Lord God, the Almighty, is is worthy to be praised. And in chapter 5 of Revelation, we are going to find out just how it is that the Lord God, the Almighty, rules from his throne. Because this is up to this point, we have every reason to think, again, that the Lord God, the Almighty, because he owns everything, can just do whatever he wants with it. And I understand where that perspective comes from, but we're going to find out in major surprise, I think, for some of us, the way in which the Lord God, the Almighty, chooses to exercise his rule. And I think it's fun for me being the creator of of this podcast because I do realize that what is coming in Revelation 5 has to a large extent shaped the entire reason why I'm doing this podcast. And so I'm very eager to get into that with you, but we now have an image of one seated on a throne. Remember, the listeners in Revelation would have known that they have another view of someone seated on a throne who claims divine status, that being Caesar himself, And the different ways that the Lord God Almighty chooses to rule from his throne and the way Caesar chooses to rule from his, which image best captures the hearts and imaginations of the citizens of Rome and or the citizens and members of these various congregations sprinkled throughout Asia Minor will radically shape the way they believe they are called to rule themselves And sprinkled through some of the letters to the seven churches, John has given commission for this. He's told some of the churches that you will rule alongside Jesus um, with rods of iron. Well, what does that mean? We're about ready to find out. But so far, the image we have is of the Lord God Almighty on his throne in heaven, ruling peace and rest and calm surrounds his rule as does absolute worship from divine beings and earthly representative beings offering continual praise to the Holy One of Israel, the Holy Lord God, the Almighty. And so that wraps up our time for episode 66. It gets us all the way to the end of Revelation chapter 4. Um, I do want to remind some of you who are listening, I have actually ceased posting for a little while on social media. I was getting a little bit burned out by that. It's not because I don't find value in it. I was just being crunched for time with different responsibilities and something had to go. But I do intend to pick that back up if I can figure out a smoother way to connect with you and to let you know about these various episodes. Um, But I'm thankful for those of you that are continuing to stick with me and uh, want to grow together, want to understand the Bible together. It's been a lot of fun, and um, I can't wait to continue 
um, walking through the, the chapters and, and the rest of the book of Revelation. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas, as Christmas is in a week from now, from the time that I'm recording this podcast. I hope to take a little bit of a break myself over the holidays just to get rested and and caught up on some things, but we will pick things back up actively at the first of the year, and I can't wait to jump into Revelation 5 with you. Until then, have a great holiday.